So we're in a series of sermons, topical sermons. Man, this thing is going to make me crazy. I'm sorry. Uh, Topical sermons through January entitled Two Little Birdies. And we're doing just sessions on singleness this morning. Obviously, we're going to talk about biblical dating and courtship. Um, Next week, we'll begin a four to six part series of sermons on a theology of marriage. What is marriage? What does God have in marriage? Why did God give us marriage? All of those types of things. We'll then have uh, probably two to four sessions on um, biblical sexuality. And I wanted to let some of you parents know that during those sessions, some of those sessions may be PG-13. That's not to be gratuitous. That's not to be crass. That's not just to to draw a crowd. But the Bible has very... uh, explicit teaching on biblical sexuality. And so we're going to teach the Bible. Thank you. We're going to teach what it has to say. And uh, some of it may be age inappropriate. And so if you would email me and talk to me about that, I can let you know what we're going to be talking about. After that, we'll talk about raising kids. So that's kind of the progression. And then when we hit January, we're going to do a couple sessions on who we are as a church, where we're going, what the missionary vision of this church is. Then we're going to start the book of Zechariah. We'll be in the book of Zechariah for 16 weeks. Then we'll take a break through the summer. And then post-summer, we're going to be hitting the gospel of Mark. So with all that said, we're going to pray. Oh, and one other thing. This morning, we're doing Q&A. So we won't be taking communion. During these sessions, they're much more um, kind of lecture style, much more teaching style, like in a classroom versus a sermon. And so if you have questions, I want you to be brave this morning and ask your question publicly. Because when you ask your questions... What comes from that is learning in the community. And so be writing down questions about dating, courting, singleness. And really, if you have questions about marriage too, be asking those questions this morning so I can kind of develop this series around that. Okay, are we ready to rock and roll? Kind of, maybe. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd bless this time now. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher. We invite you to be our guide in this time. And we pray for your power. Thank you that you are the king and that you rule all things and all peoples and all places for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's where we want to start. Last week we talked about singleness. This morning, understand that if you don't have the gift of singleness, you are to be married. And so there are stages of relationships that lead us to marriage. You begin as a single, then you develop a group of friends Uh, of both genders, guys and girls. And out of those friendships, if you are pursuing marriage, will develop a deeper relationship that goes beyond being friends. It goes past the junior high notes. Do you like me? Circle yes, circle no to yes, I actually do like you. And that is an area that is complex, confusing, intimidating for a lot of singles who are in friendships and trying to discern how God would have them live out their lives to become married from courtship is what we're going to call that stage that season we're going to call it courtship we're not going to call it dating and if i refer to it as dating just know that i mean courtship you move into an engagement which is where the trigger has been pulled and now you are officially moving the train on the tracks towards marriage and then you put rings on your finger in front of god and witnesses and pastor you say i do and the deal is done until the day you die we'll be talking about that next week and for the coming weeks. But for today, we want to focus in on this third stage when two little birdies meet and how courting happens. What is a good biblical way to go about finding a mate? What does God have in this for us? 
And we all need to understand that the Bible does not give to us any instruction on dating and courting at all. There is no first flirtations chapter one, verse two on how to flutter your eyes and quick pickup lines for guys. You just don't have any of that in the Bible. And the reason is, is because in that culture, everything was prearranged, which honestly was a lot easier on the couple, I believe. Mom and dad sat down and said, here's what we need. Here's where we marry into. Here's the type of money. Here's the societal class that we sit in. You are going to marry him. And she would say, okay. That still happens all around the world. I was teaching in India at a pastor's conference on marriage and midstream realized that I'd been taking in my American ideals, telling the girls, you need to find a good man. If you can't find a good man, you run from him and telling the guys, you need to be careful about who you're dating. And they were all kind of squirming in their seats. And suddenly mid teaching in front of about 200 pastors, I found the Holy spirit saying they all are in prearranged marriages, Danny. And I just had to stop like midstream. And, and I asked the question, are, were all of your marriages prearranged? Would you just raise your hand? And 95% of them raised their hand. <laughs> Spent the rest of the conference trying to sort out that mess. But the truth is, the Bible doesn't give to us specific instruction on dating or on biblical courting. But what the Bible does give to us is sound principles and points of wisdom. Sound principles and points of wisdom. And this is effective and this is important for all of you that are in that stage of relationship. And this is why. Dating and courting has evolved through the history. And I'm not going to give you an exhaustive history of what that word means and what's it, what it has entailed. But to sum it all up, dating used to mean going out to the movies, having a good time, getting to know somebody. Courting used to mean you were meeting the family. You were intentional about getting to know each other for the purposes of getting married. And slowly but surely, as the moral decay of society has happened, dating and courtship has decayed as well. To where now we live in what we call the hookup culture, which is basically have sex with somebody and then maybe you might get to know them for a deeper, further relationship. Further than that, it's gone to this place. We were at an event Friday night where doctors Les and Leslie uh, Parrott were teaching and they said that in the current culture, what they see happening is that dating doesn't happen. That our generation and younger is really a low-risk generation, and dating takes a lot of risk. Courting takes a lot of risk to ask somebody out, to get to know them. And so what they're seeing at college campuses is that young men and young women don't know how to court. They don't know how to date. They don't know how to relate to each other because they're scared of each other. In fact, some professors surmise that they don't even know how to have one-on-one relationships. They can tweet and Facebook and blog, but to sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about life and get to know each other is lost upon my generation and younger. Some professors of secular colleges actually require in their syllabus one date and a paper written on what that was like to be in relationship with somebody else for one night without Facebook. Unbelievable, right? But this is the world that we live in. And so what we want to do for today's time together is we want to lay out some biblical principles, some biblical points of wisdom. Um, And this morning, normally at this church, what we do is verse by verse teaching. When we go to the book of Zechariah, we're going to be going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through all of the Bible. But this morning is just going to be basically a bunch of texts, a bunch of little points of wisdom, just kind of all smattered together like Proverbs. And that's really small. That got really small, but that's okay. Hopefully you guys can read that. Where we're going to start this morning is guys and girls as friends. I want to just give you guys some tips for guys and girls as friends. When you're in that friendship stage, how should that be 
lived out? What should that look like when you're just at the friendship stage? First point this morning is when it's just guys and girls as friends, make it a family. First Timothy chapter five, verses one and two says, treat your girls that are within the community called the church. Treat them as sisters, treat older men as fathers, respect them. So when you guys are in this guy girl relationship kind of context, the main focus should be family. You aren't there at a meat market or at a singles dating club. You are there to protect your sister. You are there to pray for your brother. You are there as brothers and sisters. And so if you want to be in this context in a healthy way, you're not looking at it as a single looking to get married. You're looking at it as a sister or a brother seeking to support your family around you. Number two, when you're in the guy-girl stage of just being friends, I would highly exhort you to always be together in community. Always be together in community. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Guys and girls as friends is healthy and joyful and it's protected and healthy and joyful and stays protected and healthy and joyful if you're with other guys and girls as friends but not alone. This is going to sound archaic and some of your jaws are going to drop to the ground, but people still do this. My wife and I had one date alone, and it was kind of accidental to tell you the truth. And the rest of our courtship and engagement, we were with people at all times. We just committed in and of ourselves by conviction of the spirit that we wouldn't be alone. And we weren't. So we were with friends all the time and we got to know each other and our marriage is healthy and we love each other. And it wasn't this shocking moment when we got married and moved in together. Like, I don't even know who you are. No, we knew each other in community. Then God brought us into that process of getting to know each other in marriage. Number three, I would say guard your levels of transparency when you're at this friendship stage with guys and girls, just as friends, guard your levels of transparency. The book of Proverbs, again, chapter 25, verse 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city without walls. And here's what I've seen in Christian community and in fellowship. Guy meets girl, girl meets guy. Guy likes girl, girl meets and likes guy. They become fast friends. And somehow, for some reason, within Christendom, we begin to spiritualize everything. And the heart gates come wide open. And these two young people begin sharing their deepest, most intimate hurts and blessings with each other. And rather than having self-control and maybe talking about the Seahawks, before you start talking about your souls so in-depth, there's like this unleashing of the deepest emotions. And you cannot help but get emotionally entangled into one another's lives when you, in the name of fellowship, in the name of pray for me, just spill your guts to somebody full on. Singles in this room, I would highly exhort you, guy-girl friendships are awesome. Talk about the Seahawks long before you start talking about your souls. Be guarded. Be careful in the transparency levels that you employ in your relationships because relationships are all about knowledge of each other. And the minute you open up your soul and bear your soul to somebody, you've taken that relationship to a new level. Let me give to you here, before we get into some general principles, some general tips some general tips for gals and some general tips for guys whenever you're relating to one another and you're moving into that courtship stage. Really no biblical verses on this. This is just good old down-home corn-fed wisdom. So write these things down. General tips for gals if you are in a courting relationship, or excuse me, if you're in a friendship and still waiting to be courted. Number one, girls, please, for the love of all that is good and for your hearts, Just assume that he is not into you. 
Just do that. It will make it so much more healthy. I can't tell you how many times some poor little gal has approached either my wife and I with just tears in her eyes. And she's just absolutely heartbroken because some brother looked at her. And she assumed he looked at her to marry her. And he wasn't looking at her. He just, you know, needed to scratch his nose. For some reason, young gals, I think because you've had the kind of Cinderella dream and you have been planning your wedding cake and the way your dress is going to look since you were Olivia's size, you build up this imagination and this framework. And so now everything is devoted to meeting that guy. The problem is that guy has been running from marriage from the day he was born. (laughs) He wants nothing to do with it. And so young gals oftentimes will go in and some young brother will begin, you know, taking steps of faith to open up and to communicate and to develop friendships. And suddenly that young gal is like, he must love me. He's going to marry me. He's the one. And then when this young guy doesn't really begin to pursue her, she's absolutely heartbroken or she gets angry or she gets bitter. And the poor guy's just sitting there like most of us all the time are, right? Guys scratching our head just going, I don't know what I did wrong. I just wanted to be friends, right? Gals. At this stage in your life, begin with the assumption that he's not into you, that he doesn't want to marry you, that he's not courting you. Maybe he really does just want to go hang out with some friends and get to know you as a friend. That's a good place to start. Number two, ladies, in the culture that we live in, you have been trained well to manipulate men with your bodies. I know that it is not intentional, especially for believers, but young men and men of all ages are visual creatures. I would exhort you and the Bible exhorts you in a number of different places to be self-controlled, not flirting and not manipulating with your bodies and with your actions. God, the Holy Spirit, empowers you to be women of purity and chastity. And there's nothing more precious, more attractive, more beautiful than a woman who is fully clothed, honoring the Lord, seeking not to draw attention to herself, which brings us to our third point in general tips for gals, but pointing all people to Jesus. In this season of friendship with guys and gals, as you're developing your friendships, make it your aim not to find your man, but to lead them to the God-man, Jesus. It really does simplify the relational dynamics when everything that you're doing is about bringing people to Jesus. And gals, you can, you can really be effective in a whole lot of ways in your relationships in looking to Jesus and praying before you get involved in different contexts. Lord, how do I point my friends guys and girls, to Jesus while we're together. Let's move on to the fellas, brothers. Let's talk here a little bit about general tips for guys. Again, really not, um, not a whole lot of biblical background on this, but just good old down-home wisdom for you. Gentlemen, in guy-girl relationships, you need to have clear, 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 intentional, did I say clear? Clear communication with the girls that you're involved in and involved with. You need to be very upfront, beloved gentlemen in this room, young brothers. You need to understand and you need to have enough spiritual and social maturity where you can have a real conversation with one of your sisters saying, you know, I love hanging out with you and I want us to have a friendship and nothing more than that. 
I cannot tell you how many guys have either mistakenly not realized that they were leading some young girl along or some guys who are just schmucks uh, have intentionally done that because they like the emotional play that they get on those types of relationships. Number two, gentlemen, in your guy-girl relationships, I exhort you, and I would say the Bible exhorts you, don't single out or separate from community. Meaning, in that community of friends, don't begin to go, unless you are actually beginning to go for one particular girl, don't single her out. Don't be just calling her, but Danny, I just really vibe with her, and she just can listen to me, and she listens so well. Are you going to court her? Are you going to clearly communicate with her that you're pursuing a deeper relationship? If not, stop. And don't be leading her on. Take back the reins and make sure that you are living equally with all of the opposite gender in your community relationships. Number three, this one I'm not sure is so much a problem in our community yet, uh, but it may become a problem within the community of Taproot. Young gentlemen, you need to realize that no one submits to you, you submit. Because we are a a church that honors male headship, in other words, we believe that men are the leaders of their homes, not in any uh, hierarchical or or like chauvinistic way, but in a godly way. Because we believe that, that men lead and have been wired to lead and wired to create and wired to provide, young men can kind of absorb that teaching and begin to say, you know what, I'm a man in this church, which means that the women in this church need to submit to me. No, they don't. You submit to Jesus and you submit to your pastors and that's where it stands. And if one of your pastors or Jesus says, do this, you do it. But you have no authority over any woman in this church at all. (laughs) And the minute that you begin to think that you have some sort of spiritual authority or social authority within this church over somebody that you're not married to, you're in sin and you're going to come under church discipline. You're going to be humbled and your pride is going to be broken. So gentlemen, within your relationships... Yes, you are males, and yes, you should be protecting, and yes, you should be kind of creating the environment within which those relationships function, but nobody submits to you. You live submissively to Jesus and to your church around you. Number four, protect, 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 protect your sisters. We live in this uh, community and in this culture that is just uh, fallen apart at the seams, And so, young gentlemen, within guy-girl relationships, as you're seeking out who you may court, your primary role in those relationships is to protect yourself in purity, protect yourself emotionally, uh, protect yourself physically, and protect your sisters. My son, I've been training him from the day he was born on protecting women's purity, and yesterday we were driving through White Center and Everybody knows driving down through White Center, there's all the porn shops. And my son, he leans over in the car and he whispers. He's like, Dad, I just, I just saw this, this picture over there and this woman. She was in her underwear. What do I do? And I just turn back around. And I say, Dad, or I say, Son, what, what do we do to protect women in their, in their purity? And he says, I close my eyes. <laughs> That's right. You close your eyes, buddy. Brothers, listen, just close your eyes. I mean, that's all I can say to you. You need to protect her purity. And, uh, you know, all of you are struggling with porn addiction. All of you are struggling with lust. That's fine. God's grace is surrounding you. Let that grace guide you to close your eyes with your sisters. Be in community. Guard them. Nobody submits to you. You submit. And clearly, 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 clearly communicate. All right. Let's move on here to our next little bit. Finding the one. I want to give you guys just some biblical wisdom, some kind of biblical nuggets to work through when preparing for marriage. We're going to have six fundamentals 
that we're going to talk about this morning. Six fundamentals in finding the one. Who is it that you are to marry? And the first place that we want to begin is this. Number one, first fundamental in finding the one, avoid the wrong one. Avoid the wrong one. And the Bible does give to us very, very clear instructions here. You can turn there if you have Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'll read the verses for you. Very clear instructions on who a wrong one certainly is. And this is the one that you would want to avoid in any sort of relationship that goes deeper than just a friendship. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and he says, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. I'll stop there. There is a biblical principle, a fundamental when entering into courting relationships that you avoid the wrong one. And at the top of the list of the wrong ones is non-believers. There is a vast chasm between the way that a believer looks at the world and thinks about marriage and relationships and the way that somebody that does not yet know God thinks about relationships and marriage. And so the fundamental principle, the the wisdom that is given from the Bible here in 2 Corinthians is when looking to court somebody... Avoid the wrong one, that wrong one being a non-believer. And I'll I'll tell you, at Taproot, we take this very, very seriously. Um, This passage lays out for us that in-depth relationships that are unequally yoked is sin. And it's been lost upon the young Christian culture for some reason that this is egregious sin. This is like getting drunk. This is like having sex outside of marriage. This is like uh, stealing. This is sin. To be involved in an unequally yoked relationship is sin against God. And Jesus Christ had to die for it. I take this passage very deeply, and I have a wound to bear my proof of that. Uh, My dear brother, who I love dearly, Troy, my middle brother, uh, approached me like eight years ago now about getting married. And he was marrying uh, his high school sweetheart, Katie. Katie was a confessing, professing believer. And Troy, at the time, was, no, I don't believe in Jesus. And through a series of email dialogues and talks, I literally had to tell my brother, Troy, I can't do your wedding, Troy. I have a pastoral responsibility. I'll be in your wedding. I'll be your best man. I'll do whatever you... I want to support you and Katie, but I can't yoke you to her before God and witnesses and say, God is really blessed by this. He's not. Katie is in sin and you don't know him. And it erupted in a massive family feud because the crazy drunk Danny went to being religious freak Danny. And now he won't even marry his own brother to his wife. Give me a break. It was years of hurt. And there's still that bruise. I just tell you that to let you know that this is a very serious thing in our Christian society and in our culture. And I just see too many young people getting wrapped up in relationships that are unequally yoked. And it it kills them. It kills their Christianity. It kills their fruit. And I want you guys to recognize why this is important. One, if you are dating a non-believer in here today, just think with me and reason with me a little bit. It's not even a real relationship the way you want it to be. 
because your deepest core convictions haven't even been shared. If a relationship that is to be deep is to be deep, then your deepest convictions have to be shared. And if you're a believer and they're a non-believer, you're kind of hiding, you're kind of faking it. So they're not even getting the real you, which means that the relationship itself is empty. It doesn't have at its foundations the deepest core beliefs. Oftentimes with young folks that enter into relationships with non-believers, you see that it's more out of a selfish service. They like the relationship. The guy, the girl treats them great. It's wonderful. They have fun together. And so rather than seeking to build a deep relationship of serving the person, they're using that person to serve their own desires and whims. Number three problem with Dating non-believers or courting non-believers is it truly heaps up judgment on the unbeliever. It does. Usually these relationships devolve into uh, sexual sin. And every time the gospel is not preached and sin occurs without repentance, that unbelieving person is being taught, God doesn't care. It's not a big deal. I know you used to have a church background, but obviously you honor me and our sex and our relationship above the God of the universe, so it can't be that big of a deal. The, the believing partner in an unequally yoked relationship becomes the damning partner. I know that's heavy, guys, but I want you to feel the weight of it. There's just so many young people in this church that are courting and dating, and, and it, is, it is a heartbreaking, heart-wrenching thing for moms and dads and for pastors and friends to watch this happen with young people. And then finally, another problem with dating unbelievers is that what occurs is Jesus talked about how the cares of the world and the thorns of this world will begin to entangle the Christian heart and choke out fruitfulness. So what could be a very, very fruitful, life-giving individual, the cares of this world, and they slowly, and I've watched this happen over and over, they slowly just get dragged back into the ways of the world. The convictions of the Spirit and the guidance of Scripture become more and more marginal, more and more put on the side, and to where pretty soon you wouldn't even know that this individual was a believer. Their witness is lost, and the idol of relationship or the idol of sex or the idol of whatever's driving them supersedes and, and overtakes everything. It's, and it is, it's a tragedy. So with that very, very serious avoidance, also, I would say, those of you that are in courting relationships right now, hunt for marriage idolaters and then run from them. Who are the marriage idolaters? These are the singles that they are going to die if they don't get married. Marriage is like the end all be all source of joy and peace and satisfaction. And you know who they are. You meet them, and the next thing they're talking about, so what do you think about weddings? What do you think about this week? And usually, girls, this is not, a, I want to say this very respectfully, but usually girls fall prey to this marriage idol. And guys kind of get freaked out by it, but that's a good thing. If, if you are idolatrizing, if you're worshiping marriage, and then you make marriage your end-all, be-all, and then you get married, and that God no longer satisfies you, the foundation of the marriage is already built on cracked rocks. And so you need to be very prayerful and very discerning. When you enter into courting relationships, are you both able to say, hey, if we don't get married in this relationship, if we end up just with Jesus, are we cool with that? Because that's a good thing. That's a good place to be. And then finally, I would say avoid the spiritually, socially, emotionally immature. The spiritually, socially, emotionally immature. And, and now, guys, I'm going to kind of slam on you here just a little bit because I love you so much. 
girls, um, if he's 23 and plays Halo all night long, I would say avoid him. <laughs> um, if mama's still making him pancakes and buttering them for him, you should probably not marry him yet. The point is, you, you need to be discerning in your relationships as you yoke up with people that you're both spiritually mature, that you're socially mature, and that you're emotionally mature. This means that as you're courting, you're beginning to talk about what is our calling in life? How many kids do we want to have? What do our career plans look like? Do you want to stay at home with the kids? Do you want me to lead and be the main provider? Let's talk about all of these things, and let's be mature about it. Let's be clear about it. Let's talk about it. And if we find points where we're not lined up, let's see if God's going to mature us and line us up. And if we don't find points where we line up, we're going to discern that. We're going to put the brakes on this. Good? So, if fundamental one, number one is avoiding finding the wrong one, fundamental number two, fundamental number, number two in finding the one is that everybody needs to realize in this room, the one does not exist. The one does not exist. There is this kind of cultural myth that has developed over the years where the one, and I'm here to tell you that the one is Bigfoot riding on a unicorn, hanging out with a leprechaun at the end of the rainbow. He's not there. She's not there. And, uh, you know, (laughs) I know some of you that are dating and engaged right now, like you just leaned over to her. No, baby, you're the one. There's nobody else for me. (laughs) Yeah, but there could be other ones. I promise you. My wife and I talked a little bit about this, and and this is why the one doesn't exist. We think of the one as somebody who's compatible with us. This is what our culture teaches us. And we think of compatibility as perfection. And so the one that we're looking for is somebody who is never going to sin against us, never try to change us, get along with us. Watch the football games with us, fellas. Uh, Go shopping with us, ladies. Uh, They are going to do everything that we want and not usurp our little throne and our little kingdom at all. That's what we call compatibility. And it does not exist anywhere in this world. We are all sinners and God brings us together. And so looking for the one, I think you set yourself up for failure at the very, very beginning of things. Now, next week, we will talk about those that are married. You did find the one. Once you're married, you are married to the one. Yes, ladies, uh, you married Bigfoot. He's elusive and kind of hairy, and you found him. He's it, right? That is the one. But in this courting phase, you need to kind of diffuse that mythological creature, the one, and really look through a grid of biblical maturity and biblical calling and biblical understanding because God knows who you're going to marry. God has seen who you're going to marry. And if you have this grid of perfection, you're not even looking for who God is preparing for you. And then number two, it's very important to understand for those of you that are courting, the person that you marry is not the person that you'll be married to 10 years later. And I'm not talking about divorce. We all are continually changing. In fact, we're going to devote an entire session in these marriage points that marriage is designed to change us, to grow us, to make us more like Jesus. Which means the guy, the girl you marry is not going to be the guy or the girl that you're married to 10 years from now because God is going to use that person to transform you. I found this quote in Keller's Meaning of Marriage. In the next couple weeks, we're going to have a bookstore going out there with all of these resources for you guys. I would love for you to be reading everything that I've been reading. Listen to this quote. We never know who we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. 
For marriage, being the enormous thing it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered it. In our years together, my wife has been married to at least five different men. All of them, me. Lex and I have been married for 11 years. And uh, boy, have I changed. Holy moly. And it's a good and glorious thing. But if she would have married me 11 years ago for who I am today, I didn't exist. So you need to wipe away this notion of finding the one in your courtship processes and just be very prayerful about how God is leading you in your relationships. Principles or fundamentals numbers three and numbers four. Um, Don't play house and watch for flags. These are just two very simple points for us to consider here. A lot of times in our culture, our culture teaches us that when recording, we need to, to, to basically play house. And so, of course, cohabitation statistics are, are you know, very high in our society. That is the norm where you don't get married before you move in with each other. You're having the most intimate sexual encounters and emotional encounters before you get married. That is the cultural norm. And for us as a community of people who love God and obey God, we're seeking to redeem that as a church. We're seeking to say, you know what? That's backwards. We don't play house. And sociologically speaking, I'm not even giving you like pastor preaching at you against your sin stuff here. The social data says that cohabitation actually leads to a greater divorce rate than non-cohabitation. And I can give you a number of statistical research studies that would prove my point on this. So when you're courting young people or folks that are preparing for marriage, you're not playing house. You are not married yet. That ring is not on the finger. That stage has not been reached. And so that relationship is not defined by like practicing like you're married. You are defining what your marriage will look like, but you're not practicing as if you are married because the truth is you're not. This raises in our culture, of course, the how far can we go question sexually. I was a youth pastor for about seven years. That was the weekly question. Danny, I got a new girlfriend, man. How far can I go? Um, You can't even look at her, dude. Just close your eyes. That's as far as you can go. We'll just make it that easy for you. The how far can you go question, I think, is the wrong question. But everybody needs to recognize that God has given us the biomechanics of sex to glue us together. In fact, these doctors that I was listening to Friday night brought up the fact that for a woman, there's a chemical that when a woman is touched, just even holding her hand that is produced called oxytocin, which binds her. This chemical is produced in the brain when you hold her hand and the chemical releases in her this desire to one, trust the man that she is holding hands with and surrender to him. Physically, like this is doctor stuff. They're measuring these chemicals and what these chemicals do. You brush the back of her back and she goes, I want to trust you and follow you. God created that. There's a chemical that's released in men as they're rubbing her back called dopamine. It's the conquering, rewarding chemical. And every time a man does that, especially if you, if you take this, I want to be careful with my language because but nobody's emailed me yet. But if you take this to places of orgasm, You are literally gluing your physical, metaphysical, spiritual, emotional bodies together. That's why we biblically say the brakes have to be on before marriage in every way. In every way, because you are gluing yourself to somebody when you're practicing playing house. 
So there needs to be a very wise, discerning level of commitment. And the closer you get to engagement, the more you can release those endorphins and release those hormones and those chemicals. And then once marriage happens, it is a free-for-all, as we will discuss in the next few weeks. I would say this. How far can we go? Think of the golden rule of going how far. If you're courting somebody right now, gentlemen, I want you to touch her in the way that you would want another man to touch your wife. That's what I want you to do. I want you to think about the woman you're married to four or five years from now, and I want you to touch the girl you're with right now the way you want some other guy touching your future wife. Just do that. Ladies, I want you to think about your husband, and I want you to Treat him the way that you want some girl who's dating your future husband right now to be treated. See, that changes everything. Like when you really start thinking, boy, would I want some other guy touching my wife the way that I am right now? You're my sister. Let's pray. Let's get back into community. We shouldn't have snuck off behind the movie theater. Come on, let's go. (laughs) Be honest. Principle fundamental number four, be honest with uh, yellow, orange, and red flags. Yellow, orange, and red flags. So as a courting relationship begins, you should be coming into moments of conflict. If it's a true courting relationship, there's going to be yellow and orange and red flags. If there are no flags, if it's just like, this is the most amazing thing ever. She's so perfect. And she's like, he's so perfect. You're not courting. You're living with Bigfoot and the leprechaun at the end of the rainbow. And you're going to wake up one morning and he's going to be hairy and elusive and she's going to be green and all. (laughs) I better stop right there. Look for yellow and red flags and then be honest with them. I think sometimes with courting relationships, because the hormones have spun out of control and dopamine and oxytocin are flying around and there's all this gluing happening and now your hearts are being shared, we kind of want to look away from conflict. We kind of want to sweep under the carpet that kind of annoying thing that he does. We want to kind of not notice that thing that she said that, oh, well, I, just, I don't want to talk to her about it because she's so perfect, you know, that type of thing. It's healthy in a courting relationship to have some good old country fights. Figure out how you're going to do conflict resolution before you get married. Figure out what it looks like to say, I'm sorry and repent and serve before you get married. And so those courting relationships that are truly courting, you are. You're working through differences. And I'm not talking, you know, having to have knockdown, drag out fights. I'm just talking about having conflict and learning those things. And then you must be honest with the yellow flags that come up. We better slow down. Let's talk about this. An orange flag comes up. We better really slow down. And if a red flag comes up, say, you know what? This is a very big red flag. Gentlemen, you, you lead that saying, you know what? This is a, a red flag. And, and you walk her through that clearly and intentionally as you possibly can. I'd also say, in being honest with yellow, orange, and red flags, you've got to ask the question, is the community involved in your courtship? Is the extended family involved? Is mom and dad involved? What about your missional community? Does your missional community leader know that you're courting this person? Are you praying together with your MC leader and his wife or her husband? Are you seeking out counsel? And this kind of has to be balanced, because sometimes you get like, 
the, the control mom that she's going to do the whole wedding for you. And the poor daughter's just like, I don't, you know, and she's mad that this isn't happening. That you have to walk away from that. Sometimes with guys in particular, all of their friends, especially if you're the first guy in a group of guys to get married, which I was, all your friends freak out. Danny, this is going to ruin your life. You can't do this, man. No, dude, I'm going to marry her. No, please God. No. And they just freak out. Right. <laughs> But there is levels where if your pastors, your missional community leaders, your oversight, those authorities that counsel you, your mom, your dad, if, they, if they're putting yellow flags up, you don't just kind of go mowing over that off to Vegas eloping. You say, okay, let's listen to that. I want to give good consideration to the counsel around me, and I'm seeking it intentionally. Let's move on. A couple more fundamentals, and then we'll do Q&A. Hopefully some of you guys will have some, some good questions for this morning. We're going to get very, very non-cultural, kind of in-the-face, Bible-based right now. Who finds who? This is the question that we ask when using biblical wisdom as we're preparing for marriage. Ladies, do you go chasing down your man and and find him and, and show him that you're the one to be married? Or, fellas, do you go out and woo her and bring her home to you? Biblically, I am convinced that in courting and in dating, the biblical standard is that the guy is the one initiating and the guy is the one pursuing. Some of you may be sitting in your seat saying right now, oh my gosh, did we just hop in a time machine and land in 1950? Doesn't Danny know it's 2012? It's the new millennium. Women's rights. What is this? No, this is based on biblical theology, and let me explain it to you. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time. But in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll explain this briefly. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul the apostle who wrote that book teaches that marriage is a picture. When you look at a married couple, you see a picture of Jesus. The man is a picture of Jesus, and the woman is a picture of the church. Paul says it's this beautiful mystery. And so he says... When you look at a marriage, you're looking at a man and he represents Jesus as he leads, as he protects, as he provides. When you look at a wife who's submitted to her husband, you're looking at the church and how the church comes under the headship of her husband and is led and trusts and helps and serves and all all of these things, right? So if we're talking about courting, we're not just talking about friendship and going to the movies with a bunch of guys and girls. We're talking about, we have clearly communicated, we are talking about getting married. We're getting to know each other in that degree and at that level. The reason I believe it's biblical for the man to be leading that is because this relationship is now moving from just guys and girls. Now it's moving into this deeper realm of reflection of Jesus Christ in the church. Our whole next session on marriage is going to be this, the foundation of what marriage is, a reflection of Jesus in the church. And so, gentlemen, if you want to reflect your God to the world around you and your relationships, particularly who you may marry... You're the one that's leading that. You're the one that, like Jesus, you're going into the relationships. You're setting up the events and the structures. You're intentionally communicating, just like Jesus intentionally communicated with his people by being born as a baby, living a life for us, dying for us, and resurrecting. Ladies, like the church, in many ways, you're oblivious to the fact that you're being pursued for a long time until he wins you over, woos you over with flowers and dates and poems and and all the stuff that guys do that Jesus has done for us on the cross. And the truth is, when it's done in this biblical order, 
When it's done this way, where the ladies are waiting and praying and watching, and the man is pursuing and wooing, what happens then is Jesus Christ is formed more deeply in the two individuals. The man becomes more like Jesus, and the woman becomes more like Jesus in surrender and submission. I'll give you a quick story from my own life. When I was first born again, I didn't think I'd get married, and then I saw my wife. I saw her. She was actually in a picture on a mission trip in Russia, and I was hanging out with uh, a bartender at her apartment looking through this, and I saw Alexis, and I was like, good grief. Wow. And, uh, and then I saw her again one time on the corner of Duncan's uh, with her friend Jenny as I was driving past in my Jeep, and, and she wasn't dressed scantily at all. She had a T-shirt on with the number 13 on it and a pair of jeans and flip-flops, and, and I was driving down Shoshone Street, and I just glanced over. Holy moly. Who is that girl? And, and just this immediate attraction, right? So lo and behold, she goes to Lighthouse Church where I go. I walk in one day and there she is. She's up there singing. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's that girl. And there was a moment in my life where the Lord very specifically, clearly spoke to me. That's your wife. I was like, yes, that's awesome, right? <laughs> but then what happened was a three-year or so process where I thought, well, maybe I just had indigestion. So I started dating other girls and she was dating other guys. And I can tell you it was agony. In that time, I was faking like I didn't know I was supposed to marry her, yet I was still trying to grab her attention. And gentlemen, don't ever do this, but the way that I tried to grab her attention was I tried to make her jealous. And so we'd be sitting at Chili's with a group of friends. I'd be like, hey, Lex, did you see that waitress? And she'd be like, what are you talking about? And it just was ridiculous. But she never noticed me until this one night. She, uh, she was dating one of my roommates. His name was Brandon. Brandon. And uh, he was not treating her very good. And I was just infuriated about it. I was so infuriated about it. And I went into my room, and I was just sitting in my room, and I was praying, Lord God, you said she's my wife, and I, I know her as a friend, and I care for her, and I see what Brandon is doing to her, and this is just agonizing to me. She doesn't even know that I care about her this way. And the Lord, again, clearly spoke to me. He said, son, this is what it's like for me as I chase my church. She acts like she doesn't know me. She ignores me. She's abused by the, the world of guys around her. And there I am pursuing her. And I just felt this flood of like, wow, this is what it's like for Jesus and became more like Jesus. And I don't remember the exact timeline after that. It was maybe a couple months or something. She broke up with Brandon. You know, I broke up with my last girlfriend. And, and um, one day after church, it was a Sunday, Sunday evening church service at Lighthouse. And we came out. We'd both been broke up. And, and we're getting ready to leave. And, and it was like the music started playing in the background. And, and our eyes met. <laughs> and we leaned over the Jeep. And, and I realized in the moment, oh, my goodness, like, we can go do something together. And this was our one date alone. So with, with all the courage and suave I could muster, I was like, you want to go to McDonald's? <laughs> yes. Thanks, guys. I feel you, brothers. I feel you. So I loaded her up in my hot Jeep. And I took her down to McDonald's, and at the stop sign, before we got to McDonald's, I stopped. I looked over, and I said, Lex, we've been friends, and I just need you to know that I'm going to marry you. And we need to pray right now. <laughs> yeah. That's the way you do it, boys. That's how you do it. She didn't jump out of the Jeep and run away screaming. Um, 
we closed our eyes and we prayed. Lord Jesus, we're to be together to be married. Just guide us in this. And, uh, and then that was the last time that we were alone uh, together. We went through, I think, three or four months of counseling. Uh, we got married, and that was 11 years ago. Um, and so by God's grace, you know, I learned a lot. I think my wife learned a lot. And, and gentlemen, um, I would just say that that's your goal. If you're courting, you're the one that's leading it. Um, and then finally, on this whole men leading things, I don't know if I put this in there, but basically... You need to understand that that's what sets up the foundation for a healthy marriage and role responsibility when we get to that. Because if the man is the one who's initiating and the man is the one who's protecting and the man is the one who is structuring and the man is the one who's leading, when you slip into marriage, you've already developed kind of that relational rhythm. And it's rocky. Trust me. It is, it's a train wreck for like the first three to five years. I'm just going to be honest with you. While you figure out what leadership and what submission really means, what that really looks like, while you figure out personalities, it's like this just... Boom, 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 boom. But at least it began the right way. And it moved in the right direction. And so that is, uh, that is I believe, the biblical point of wisdom on all this stuff. Okay. Before we go into this last point here, let me just add. Um, gentlemen, in the, leadership, in the leadership of what you're doing in these, you know, who finds who, that also means that most likely you're going to be the one that pulls the trigger on either getting married uh, or not getting married. Okay? What that means is you have to be the one who finally says, you know what, we've been at this for a while, but I need to be a man about this and clearly communicate. I don't think we're supposed to get married. And then you, and then you move on. Um, for some of you, uh, you are endlessly committed to the engagement because you're, you're waiting for her to become totally perfect. And so couples get into like 18-year engagements because they're still looking for the demon under the rock. Gentlemen, you have to be the one that finally pulls the trigger and says, you know what, I am going to die for you. I'm going to commit to you. I'm pulling the trigger on this. And ladies, I would exhort you, if you're with that guy and you've been with him for, you know, three, four, five years and you're still just begging him to get married. Yeah. Just be honest with that. I know it's painful, but lead out and get out. All right, this is the last thing that we're going to talk about, and then we'll do some quick Q&A this morning. Finding the one, using biblical wisdom, and preparing for marriage. Rest, trust, and watch. If you guys had all open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and this is where we'll close this morning. Genesis chapter 2. There's a couple great books on this that we'll get out on the book store table when that gets up and going here in the next few weeks. But this, this resting, trusting, and watching in the courtship process. In Genesis chapter 2, we have some principles that are given to us. And the first principle is this. Number one, when you're courting, God knows that it's not good that you're single. Like, God totally gets that. Read with me there in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Like God is not freaking out that you're not married yet. God is totally fine with it. God recognizes that you don't think it's good. And God is much bigger than your definition of good. And he knows how to bring the best to you. So let that sink into your souls this morning. If you're single in the kind of 
house burning down mentality of marriage idolatry. I've just got to get married. I've got to get married as soon as I can possibly get married. Look, God is totally aware that you want to get married and God is preparing for you a helper that is fit for you. But there's a lot of things that have to happen before you actually get to that place. So in the meantime, rest and trust that God knows it's not good, but also let God begin to show you in these seasons, those that you don't want to marry. Notice what This is really drawing out of the text quite a ways away from the text, but let's just go with it. Verse 19. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Adam was given this season of being shown possible helpers, but none of them fit. The giraffe comes through and he gives to the giraffe a name. He's like, no, no, that's just not going to work for me. I don't see how that's going to help me. The... <laughs> I'm going to go with this just a little bit longer. The, uh, the gorilla comes walking through. He's like, well, you know, I can deal with that. Maybe pop. No, nah, I can't deal with that. The principle being in these courting seasons and in these friendship seasons, you ladies should be looking at giraffes and gorillas going, "Uh, I don't think so. Nope, definitely not that one. Oh, did he just say what I think he said? Uh Uh-uh. Guys, you should be taking your time and very carefully within your friendships, assessing prayerfully and with another group of guys and with your missional community leaders. Hey, you know, there's this girl, but I got this problem. And you're assessing, you're looking. You know, when Lex and I were courting, I was dating other girls. And it was like giraffes and gorillas for me. It was terrible. Every girl that would come through, I'd just be like, ugh, this makes me nuts. And ugh, she's taller than me like a giraffe. And ugh, you know, stuff. And so you will have long seasons in courting where God is showing you who you're not supposed to marry. Number three. In a courting season, when you're moving into it, trust that God is forming the one who is fit for you, not while you form them, but while he does. So take a nap. Go to sleep. Notice here in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So I pray for my daughters and for my son, Probably once or twice a week, I pray for their husbands and for their wife, for his wife. Because I am fully persuaded that right now, as my son sleeps through the night, a woman is being prepared for him. Not the one, but the one. And so I pray fervently and I let him sleep and rest and my daughters let them rest and watch. And so if you're frantic, you're not even operating in the realm where you can see who the one is, who God has prepared for you. You're too busy trying to create the one in your own mind. You're too busy trying to pursue gorillas and giraffes. You're just freaking out. So take a nap, chill out, enjoy life while you're single. Like we talked about last week, get to know Jesus, rest. And then what we see here is that when they do show up, God absolutely wows you as you watch. Notice there in verse 23, then the man said, that is, or this is at least That is, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Uh, It's Hebrew poetry here that's employed. And and when Adam sees her, he's, whoa, that's it. Man, she's it. You'll have those moments. And and in marriage counseling, I, I would exhort you to have that moment. 
where, where, yes, you see the imperfections. Yes, you've had conflict. Yes, all those things. But you have that deep, settled, I've been at rest, and wow, wow, she's it. For some, it's like with me where there is this severe recognition. That is who you're going to marry. For others, it's like this slow, oncoming onset where all of a sudden you, you're sitting at lunch one day with a group of friends, and you look across the table, and you've known her for six years, and all of a sudden you're like, she's really attractive. And you just move in joyfully and restfully in that way. So with all of that said, I realize it's just a fire hose of information. And this is, you know, the tip of the iceberg and thoughts and biblical principle. Is there any questions that we can devote about five or 10 minutes to this morning? And then we'll, uh, we'll pray and get about our day. And it doesn't have to necessarily be on courting. Uh, you can have questions on singleness again. And I would ask that in a group this size that we keep it to a question. Otherwise, it may get too much information. So, any sort of questions that arise in your minds? Yo, Brian. Okay. Good. Those are great questions. I'll reiterate just for the podcast. Brian asks, um, you have the Facebook definitions of single, and then you're together in a relationship with the little heart after it, not in a relationship with the frowny face after it. You have all of those definitions. Um, let's just stay very, very biblical, okay? Up and to the point that you have a ring on your finger and a contractual public covenant before God and qualified witnesses, a pastor, you are single. Now, you are single considering marriage. You are single courting. You are uh, in an in-depth relationship moving towards marriage, which I think that flows out of the realm of singleness. You're no longer available. You're no longer looking. So I think Facebook defines it well for us, but biblically, um, you do have those degrees and once a, an engagement ring gets on the finger, now you've, you've jumped ship from singleness completely. You now are no longer available. You have pulled the trigger. You're moving forward on this. And uh, the only thing that's going to get you out is a life raft. One of you pulling the brake saying, we're not going to do this. And then your mother and your possible mother-in-law freaking out on you. Um, you also ask the question, talk about how young men can lead in a courting relationship as opposed to leading in a marriage. And that's a really good question. And I would just off the cuff here propose a couple things. One, recognize that it is different because you're not married. Two, uh, it's that clear communication. So if you're courting her, you're going through the proper counsels. And I know this is going to sound controlling and cultic to some of you, but authority is a good thing. So you're going to her mom and dad saying, you know what? I'd like to pursue your daughter. You've reached that stage in your friendship where now you're going through proper authority structures saying, I'd like to pursue your daughter. 
Um, you're going to your pastors and you're going to your missional community leaders saying, I need you to pray with me. I, I'm really considering courting. Once they've all said, yep, boom, I'd love for that to happen. Yep, boom, go for it. Then you go through this process of clearly communicating with her. And girls, you just need to hear this. And guys, you need to have enough maturity to say this. I would like us to enter into a courting relationship. You don't do that lightly. You think of it like engagement. You think of it very heavily and very prayerfully. And you say, this may or may not end up, you know, in marriage. I want it to, but it may not. And I I want us to pursue it with that open communication. I'm going to lead you well. I'm going to protect our purity. I'm going to be praying for us. I'm going to be asking hard questions. I want you to ask me hard questions. Um, And we'll start moving forward. And I would say, if you reach that point where you're sitting down saying, I want to move this towards engagement and marriage, man, you have earnestly prayed. You have sought the counsel of friends. You have been together in a community of guys and girls for an extended amount of time where you've seen this and you've seen that. You don't get onto that, you know, courtship bridge with the bungee cord on and jump on the first day. There's, there's a whole lot that goes into that. And you have to lead that prayerfully. You have to lead that responsibly. Um... And then I would say with engagement, that, that's the ultimate lead. That's where you're the one saying, it's time. And now you're going to the dad and you're asking the dad, hey, I want to marry her or to her uh, authority figures in her life. And you're, you're just saying, I want to take responsibility. And you go buy the ring and get her done. Questions, Brittany and then Doug. Yeah, these Q&As are tough. (laughs) So Brittany asks the question, let's say you have a strong believing family, and then you have, let's say, the girl, she gets saved in a church, and the rest of her family is not believing, and yet she needs to be submissive to her parents. Let's say you have a crazy controlling dad who uh, doesn't like Christianity. I mean, paint this really extreme example. And this is where I would counsel the young couple there is a level of Holy Spirit discernment. And just like with preaching the gospel, when we know that we're called to obey, the cards will fall and God will always work through obedience before he'll work through disobedience. So in every way possible with the unbelieving family, we want to set up honorable, respectful conversations and points of submission in every way that you possibly can. For as long as you can, even hold off on the wedding until there is that prayerful, spirit-led consensus. Prove that you love her or he loves you enough to wait and to hold off and to honor the family. Let him prove himself. And, And I would say that in a situation like that, most people are reasonable. Most people really are reasonable. And... Just because people don't believe the Bible doesn't mean that a young man can't come in and prove his integrity and prove his worth and kind of do what he does to win over dad and spend time with him and prove himself. So I would say go for that. But there will be instances, and usually it's with circles of friends, where the friends are just like, this is the biggest mistake you've ever made. And you have to say, no, I'm taking responsibility. I've prayed. 
I've sought the counsel of authority. We're going to move forward on this. There, there are instances where that has to happen. And I usually see those instances uh, in one of two categories. One, they're totally rebellious and they're not praying. Or two, they've been praying fervently and God is using that to really refine their relationship in the very beginning stages, kind of gluing them together like, it's just me and you, babe, and we're going to do this. I don't ever recommend eloping. I don't ever recommend just running off to a justice of the peace without long counsel. Um, the, the, the requirement of the believer is to make every effort possible to honor the people around them. And until that is completely exhausted, pray, wait, be patient, love, prove yourselves, and let God do, a, do a, an amazing work in that. Good. Doug, you had a question? Yeah, uh, Doug asks the, the classic question of our culture because we live in a fatherless culture. So young people, a lot of why young people are afraid of commitment is um, they don't even know who they are. They're not even self-identified yet, and so they're in this kind of quagmire of figuring out who they are and trying to date and dealing with their hormones and all of those things. Um, and he asks the question, how can we facilitate that type of mentorship and environment. And I think that the, the answer is in the question itself in this. The church is a redemptive community. And so though you may be here today fatherless, if the church is operating in the power of the Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is raising up for you father figures and mentors and kind of um, forerunners that you can watch and learn from and involve yourselves with. I cannot stress enough how important it is if you are young and if you are courting that you are involved in a missional community with another married couple that's a few years down the road or 20 years down the road from you. Intentionally seek out mentor marriage couples. And we have a number of them in this community that you can yoke yourself up with within the context of a missional community and just ask questions and watch them and learn from them. It, even just this morning, I was praying, Lord... You know, my wife and I have a very great amount of grace in our marriage. And Lord, just bring young couples from all over just to sit and watch what a healthy marriage looks like. Just to, just to watch. Um, and so keep your eyes open. And gentlemen and, and older ladies that are married, you know, you have opportunity within this community. If you'll pray and say, Holy Spirit, lead me to my Timothy. Lead me to a younger gal that I can just mentor and love on. And, and then you look at your calendar and you say, I'm going to prioritize. And then the young people are looking for that. That dual mentorship begins to happen and the church becomes a redemptive community. Good. Maybe one more if we have one more. And if not, we'll go to worship. Is there any other questions at all that rise to the, the forefront of your mind for young people? Yes, my wife. Lex asks a great question. What about online dating and things of that nature? So recognize that processes and vehicles of courtship have evolved from all of history. 
we've moved from prearranged marriages to online dating. I mean, and, and God doesn't say yay or nay to any of them. God says there's processes and vehicles of courtship. So I know of, well, offhand, two or three couples that are, from all appearances have very healthy marriages and they met online. Some of our, some of our older generation, well, how could you meet online and you can't talk to each other? Well, no, no, the vehicles of communication, it's possible. Um, and it's not like they, you know, get married and have their honeymoon on Facebook. They actually do come together. <laughs> so I would, I would say to each his own, I would say be very prayerful. One of the things that I have been concerned about for those of you that are doing online dating, uh, they're a hot spot for wolves. Um, there are a lot of good guys out there that have met their wives online and their marriages are absolutely beautiful. But for every good guy that's out there, those online communities are just hot spots for wolves. Guys that are just like, I'm going to find me a girl. She's going to be a good moral girl. I'm going to marry her. And then he just becomes this total uh, schmuckaroo. And so I would say online dating in most cases, in 99% of the cases, you have the online dating you meet, and then you have a, a formal courtship process where you're getting to know each other, uh, and then you get married. So I have no qualms with it. All right, we better wrap this up because we have to be out of here by 1230. Next week, we're going to begin our foundations of marriage. Singles and those of you that are courting and engaging, I would highly encourage you to come. Don't miss the coming weeks as we talk about marriage, biblical sex, and biblical baby raising. Uh, we're going to close with a couple songs. We will go back to taking communion uh, next week, and then we'll do Q&As after that. Um, so let me pray for us. We need to wrap this up. Lord Jesus, I trust and entrust this time to you that it's been helpful and that you would now be exalted in our relationships for the young people or those that are courting in here that aren't young, they're either getting remarried or have been widowed. God, just bless them in their courtship. I pray that you'd bring up the yellow flags and that they'd work through that, that they know how to deal with conflict and that they're being honest with those things. I pray for the young gals, Lord, in here, that they would wait, that they would just be so prayerful for their husband. You're preparing him right now. You're shaping him. You're making him a man of courage and chivalry and valor, and power. And Lord, for the young men in this room, I pray, God, that they would rest and watch and pray carefully for their wives. We pray to be a community of purity and holiness. We love, Lord, our culture. We love our city. We love our friends and family members. We love every person in this city. Lord, go before uh, our church and baptize us in your boldness. We pray for just your greatness to be manifest all through this city. So as we sing to you this morning, may you be made much of, exalted in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we all stand up and we'll sing to Jesus.